Today's episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show is brought to you by Diabolic DVD. For almost 20 years, Diabolic DVD has been the source for horror, cult, and weird cinema to customers around the world. Diabolic offers a one-stop shopping experience for all of your favorite labels, including Arrow, Synapse, Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, Mondo Macabro, Blue Underground, 88, and many more from all corners of the globe. So whether you're looking for the definitive version of Suspiria or trying to upgrade your crusty old DVD of Cannibal Holocaust, Diabolic is the owner-operated small business choice you've been craving. Shop online at DiabolicDVD.com. That's D-I-A-B-O-L-I-K-DVD.com. We're also brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. It's the number one choice of horror fans worldwide. Nothing starts your day or night better than a delicious cup of Deadly Grounds. Whether you're hunting ghosts or fighting the next zombie apocalypse, any one of Deadly's 30-plus roasts will bring you to caffeine nirvana with the richest flavor you've ever had. Whether you're craving their hellhound roast, witch's brew, devil's night roast, or sinful delight, Order online at getdeadly.com for easy and safe shipping right to your door. We know that once you go deadly, you won't go back. Join the deadly revolution today. Be bold, be different, be deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. Get some at getdeadly.com. Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. All right, so strap in because we're going non-horror for this episode. But trust me, it's borderline horror adjacent. Fat Man is the new movie from the Nelms Brothers. Fat Man is a, I don't even know where to begin, a retelling on the Santa Claus myth starring Mel Gibson as a grizzled old Santa Claus who somehow gets marked by Hitman, played by Walt Goggins. This extremely outlandish concept miraculously became a movie and an awesome one at that, and it is all because of Ian and Esham Nelms. Now, this episode is very, very different in how it's less interview style, and it is more just this big, long story about how Ian and Eshelm became directors, and this is probably one of my favorite conversations because it's just this big, long, but highly detailed, highly elaborate story about how these guys went from making their first feature, which cost $1,500, yes, $1,500 they made a feature for. And one thing led to another, led to another, and here they are directing big action movies with Mel Gibson. There was very little editing in this episode. In fact, there was just about no editing because this just felt like a fun fireside conversation with these guys. And uh, I just want to let them tell their story. It is, again, it is just such a fundamental series of filmmaking lessons. And um, I, I really think you guys will enjoy it. If you are a filmmaker, this is a particularly important episode to listen to. These guys are very much the real deal. They busted their asses to get to where they are. And this conversation basically illuminates every single step of the way, every step of their filmmaking journey. And I really got a lot out of it, and I hope you will too. So without further ado, here are the Nelms Brothers. Hey there, guys. How's everything going? 
We're good, man. How are you, Nick? I am doing good. Really good. I uh, feel like I am properly ringing in the holiday season with Fat Man. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I like um, it's rare that you have a holiday movie that has a lot of holiday cheer to it, but also a ton of grit. So that's one of the things that I, I loved about this movie. So, I mean, I, the, the first thing that comes to mind, and I feel like this is on the mind of a lot of people who hear the plot of this film. How did this movie possibly come together? <laughs> well, uh, you're, you're talking about the elements that actually went into like producing the movie or the, the story like how conceptual. we came up with the, the plot well mostly well yeah i definitely want to get into the plot but also bill mostly how did you get this off the ground because i it's hard to imagine in a you know a board meeting where, the, where you know executive producers are saying yes are green lighting this concept but i wish we lived in a world where it was easier but yeah how did how did the movie get off of the ground so this one was definitely a marathon yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's been a fourteen, at least fourteen year journey to get it to. I actually think we wrote it seventeen years ago, but Whoa. it's but it's been in good enough shape, and we've been in a certain level of room to be able to try to get it going for about fourteen years. And throughout the course of pitching it for fourteen years, we finally got it going. Yeah, and I think uh, you know a lot of those early meetings we got, they just wanted to see this sort of psychopath that would walk through the door. This yarn, uh, but, <laughs> and but we would people would, in all seriousness, we would sit down and people would say, you know what, we, we this script excites us. Yeah, you know, someone's going to make this one of these days. Um, it, it, I don't know if it's going to be you, you know, but it, this and we would be like, why not? Like, why can't we make it? You know, this yeah, like right into town, and they were like, well, it's it's director dependent. They're like, you look at the you know the tone of the film, and it's it's ambiguous when you read it, like. It, no is this what, heightened comedy? Is this yeah. gritty drama? Like what Unclassifiable. is Unclassifiable. Yeah, like how are you going to play this? Uh, so it, 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 they said you have to have something, you know, of note to sort of be able to classify and be able to say, hey, point back and say, hey, it's like this tone. Because they would say, right. what tone is this? And we're like, well, it's on the page. Like you can read it. It's funny. It's got a little westerny. It's got drama. You know, it's heart. It's got heart in it. Like a, it's a bit of a commentary. They're like, oh, well, mm-hmm. okay. But like. I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> so you know, for the past, uh, you know, 15 years of our career, we've been making movies, writing movies. And then with small town crime, mm-hmm. we finally got something that was equatable to the tone of fat man. Okay. And that's what sort of got the engine running. Yeah. We were able to point back to, to small town crime and say, it's like that. You Interesting. Know, it's, like, it's like that. one. So that was, a, that movie was kind of a bridge to making this movie. And I'm assuming that you wrote fat man way before you wrote small town crime. Oh yeah, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, like I said, we wrote Fat Man, you know, four, 17 years ago, 14 years ago, got into yeah. something great, uh, into some shape that we could actually, you know, present it. And then like a decade later, we wrote, we wrote, yeah, Small Town Crime, wow. maybe in 20, I don't know, 10, 20, 2012, something. 2012-ish. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 12-ish. And gotcha. Ian and I had some luck with some really nano budget uh, movies in, in the beginning of our careers. And we got representation and mm-hmm. they were like, okay, then, you know, you need to stop making these little movies. The next movie you're going to And when make. he says, and when he says luck with them, it wasn't, we never got into Sundance. We never got in. We weren't those guys. We just weren't those guys. We didn't have the Sundance story. Yeah. We made, our first movie was a $1,500 movie, uh, feature film. Whoa. And it, yep. And it got into, uh, at the time it got into Palm beach international film festival, which was a top 20 at the time. And so they had like Woody Harrelson and Bai Ling and all these wonderful stars that had movies in that festival there at the time. We were just like, oh, my God, you know, we have a yeah. feature film. And like the other people that were there with us in the feature film category all had 
films that had cost at least six six figures. Yeah. And I remember just going to those, you know, they have all those little filmmaker meetings and filmmaker data, and they would be like, Oh, hey, what film is yours? And you know, and you're shaking everybody's hand, meeting everybody, and we're like, Oh, we're we're it's called Squirrel Trap. We're like, hey, we're Squirrel Trap, and they're like, Oh, the Squirrel Trap boys, guys, what are you, twelve? <laughs> we're in our bright eyed and bushy tail. Early twenties. We're in our early twenties. Um, and they would be like, what are you, 12? How did you guys make a movie? And we were like, oh, well. Well, I got in a car wreck. Yeah. And instead of fixing my car, I took the money and we bought this DVX 100 camera and we shot a movie in seven days and we put it together on our computer. <laughs> and we cast out of Tony Roma's, where I was working, Place for Ribs. And Esh was shooting, or Esh was working at uh, Arclight Movie Theater, uh, making seven bucks an hour. And we, we cast it out of those two places because they in LA, they're firing actors there. We thought yeah. we had some great ones, and so we just pulled them straight out of there. Wow! Cast the movie up with them, and then went back home with them. Took them back home, and we lived about thirty minutes from the Sequoia Forest. So we went and shot right on the edge of that park, um, which our family's and, secret spot. And yeah. when Ian said home, we took him up to our our where we grew up. Yeah. Okay, got it. Cisco Valley, California. Yeah, so we took him back to our hometown, and we shot a movie 20, 30 minutes away in the Sequoia, right at the edge of the Sequoia Forest. Um, about a bunch of co- junior college students who went off to write a paper on Thoreau <laughs> on like a four-day weekend. Wow. That's insane. I just had a conversation with Jordan Downey, who did the, oh, 1500. Sorry. (laughs) I I just had a conversation with Jordan Downey, who did the Headhunter, which was a horror movie that came out. It was like $40,000. It looked amazing. His first movie cost $4,000. Thanks killing. That's the lowest I've heard so far, but you guys did a feature for $1,500, which is, I don't think it's a contest to see how low you can make it. How low you can go. (laughs) <laughs> we didn't we didn't know any better, right? So yeah. I mean, we hired actors, they all came and did it for free. We did it for free. We, I mean we paid money to do it. Yeah. And it was everybody was just hungry and ambitious and wanted to do it. And we were just making it with friends and we were like, Hey, you're working hard, we're working hard, let's go make something. They were all like, Yes. The only thing we had to do was feed and house everybody. And so we hired our mom, you know, for free to <laughs> you say hired. Exactly. We hired our mom to cater the entire thing and yeah. we paid the food budget, which was like four hundred dollars. And luckily our mom is a very down home woman and she can get down on four hundred dollars and cook for ten people or ten, seven, eight people. Was it seven seven people? Maybe seven people. But anyway, counting our parents, because with the crew was me, my brother, and my dad. Okay. And so one of us was always holding the mic or the or the camera, Esh and I. We just kind of traded off. Um, and our dad was a professional photographer for like 20-some-odd years. And so he had some lighting knowledge. Yeah. And I remember when we told him, Dad, we're going to shoot this movie. Can we borrow your, your tripod? And he had this like tripod. Old, he had an old O'Connor in the O'Connor garage. O'Connor had in his garage. It was like from like 1907 it or was, something. Yeah, it was like what they shot like uh, the three strips of Rama on. You yeah, know? so we, we got a new uh, head attachment. We could screw in the DVX 100. So it was on this like fucking, <laughs> fucking tripod they scaled Everest with. And it was fucking amazing. Uh, and it wow. Looked, it looked, the tripod was legit. And the camera was the latest digital technology that was about this big on top of it. Whoa. It that's amazing. So dad was like, well, how are you going to like this? We're out in the woods for seven days because we had all the actors camp out in tents for seven days straight. Whoa. And they were just like, fuck it. We're going method. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they'd wake up and go swimming. And, you know, and while we were getting everything set up and, and our dad would he, he's like, OK, well, the only way we're going to be able to. And Esh and I would run batteries. One of us would drive back and forth and we bought like 15 batteries and we would charge them up at night. Drive back. Now that. Did not bode well for for sleep because we got about an hour of sleep a night, which was horrible. Yeah, but it only had to last a week. 
Um, and so our dad lit the entire thing and we had probably about a third of the movies at night. He lit, uh, he lit the whole thing with a bounce card during the day yeah. and then a Coleman lantern and the flashlights he bought at Walmart. And a fire. And a fire. Wow. And a fire at night as well. Uh, so he would lit the whole thing with that, you know, about $30 worth of shit you buy at Walmart. And uh, yeah, we, and we just basically simulated camping for seven days and shot it and had them, you know, interacting. And it's kind of a comedic thriller. So there's, there's a lot of, you know, character, dialogue, hiking, talking, mm-hmm. you know. Very, yeah, but that was a, a very, very humble, yeah. humble. A lot of us holding the camera, walking backwards, you know, as they're delivering dialogue, trying, ah, that was too shaky. Ah, I just tripped in a gopher hole. Oh, I, you know, a lot of that. Uh, Wow. But they they toughed it out with us. And then Esh and I had to figure out, we had to learn to edit on that movie. Uh, Mm We had done a couple of shorts, but it wasn't anything where you're editing a feature together. So we edited the feature together on an iMac at the time. Mm Mm-hmm was completely inefficient after about 15 minutes of footage. Well, it wasn't inefficient, but there was a uh, there was a frame drop that occurred that made the audio come out of sync. Ooh. And we also had to get a bigger computer because once the timeline yeah, got too true. long, yeah. it, it was down. really too slow. We couldn't get it to play. That's what I meant by inefficient. Yeah. So, so we bought a new computer that was like $800 or something. It was like the new Mac something. Mac Pro. Yeah, that we could actually yeah. edit with. And then we... We, that's, I mean, that's where the budget went and that's where the, that's, where, that's how it, got, it went down. Wow. That's amazing. 1500 bucks. I mean, I, I feel like that's a story that really is indicative of the spirit of your first film. You know, it's a bunch of people sure. who are in it for the passion. You don't have the best lighting equipment. You're, you're finding a way to make it work with Walmart and the people that you have immediate access to. But yeah. I, I feel like that story is indicative of multiple stories of first features where I think the takeaway is you really have no excuse not to be making movies if you want to be making movies. Anybody can sure. rack up 1500 bucks in credit card debt. You know, I don't know if I recommend it, but it's like, yeah, you there's there's a way to make a feature regardless of you know your circumstances. And, and especially now with like your, your phone like, is your phone better than the cameras we shot that yeah. early movie. It's a lot better, and the only thing you have to worry about there is just downloading some app that you can control your iris and your focus, and mm-hmm. it may be renting a couple of lenses for I mean pretty damn cheap. It's not like you're renting renting some you know you know thousands of dollars for one lens. It's right. Hey, 80 bucks for the week, you know, for that lens you put on your iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's like nowadays, it seems like it is the best time to be making films. And there's so much of a demand for content, particularly, you know, during COVID. But, um, but yeah, I mean, with straight the way streaming is blowing up. I mean, it is a field day for filmmakers for sure. It feels that way anyway. Yeah. You can can create that quality. I think you can create a good enough quality. It'll be HD. It'll be, Mm -hmm. you know, it'll have depth of field and that's, and then, all you just need to learn is some pretty basic lighting technique and you can do it. Yeah, and Soderbergh, he's done like two movies now with just his iPhone. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, yeah. So yeah, there really is no excuse. But yeah, it's story is awesome. So what happened after that? After that movie was released, you, you went to Palm got Beach? Into, Palm got Springs. into a couple film festivals. It got us some reviews and we learned quickly, you know, like... I mean, we got we went and showed it at Palm Beach and the first thing we came away with was like, okay, we got to come home and cut 10 minutes out of the movie. Yeah. You know, while it was great to see people engaging and laughing at yeah. it, 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 it felt long in the tooth. Like, oh, we like you know, you instantly see objectively what's. And we'd never done that before. Right. We'd never screened it for anybody. Yeah, never even screened so. it for anybody. <laughs> Just <laughs> right to the film festival. We barely yeah. finished it. We didn't even know what. Yeah, like we it, honestly, like we barely knew how to spit it out of the computer. We we were just learning on the fly, and uh, then we so we we came back and you know we went to our place of work. And we're like, hey, we just went to a film festival, and these are all 
you know, up and coming filmmakers that had gone to USC working at Arclight with me at the time and, you, mm-hmm. know, act, you know, hungry actors working at Tony Romo's with Ian. And they were like, you did, wait a minute, you made a feature film? Are you fucking kidding? And we're like, no, no, we made a feature film, 1500, you know, on a, on a fucking Walmart budget and a, yeah. the, a movie theater uh, job. <laughs> <laughs> and so we gathered up a bunch of people from our places of work and went out and made another feature film called Night of the Dog. And that was more like a shortcuts we got uh, four other filmmakers besides ourselves and mm-hmm. we made this intercutting narrative um, that was five guys all dealing with women in the course of one night. And that one was oh, really wow. fun because because they were uh, our friends at the time who were also aspiring filmmakers were like, like, I can't believe you guys made a movie. And we're like, well, we're ready to go do it again. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? And then we sat around and at, at that time <laughs> we had all gone through very painful yeah, breakups. We'd all oh, in that man. Of our lives where we just broke up with our girlfriends or had some kind of traumatic experience with a lady. And it was literally like, you know, a bunch of men sitting around uh, grousing about, you know, I got to get, I got to get a date. And then it was, oh, well, what are we going to write about? And of course, we just choose this. We choose this uh, like, OK, well, let's write about personal. men dealing yeah. with women. It has to take course in, in the course of one night. And, and the women always win. And the women always win. That was like <laughs> what we So it was very, you know, emasculating. Right. <laughs> so we went and shot that with those with that group renegade style on the streets of L.A. So we were wow. literally no permits, no permits. Oh, no. We just went out and started shooting and it was literally like cops pulled like, what are you guys doing? You guys have a permit? And we're all, no. And they're like, better get down in 20 minutes. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> They'd be like, we're coming back. They would minutes. literally say, you got 20 minutes to pack up your shit and leave. And we'd be like, okay, we can do that in five. We got 15 minutes to shoot the rest of this scene. Let's get the shot. <laughs> Drive off and we'd go like crazy. It was, it was goofy stuff. Like, you know, you know, we would be on the beach shooting scenes and we would just walk up to people partying on their patios and be like, Hey, do you mind if we just plugged into that outlet and ran an extension cord 300 feet down the beach? And they're like, yeah, yeah, here's a bottle of wine. Like, go have wine. Fun. It's a man. And I feel like people don't realize that when you're making a movie there, it's some it depending on where you're filming, but magical things can happen. People can just come and they, they want to get swept up in the excitement of it. And these are all the yeah. things that young filmmakers need to take note of, or even older filmmakers any filmmakers but yeah for sure and so this film cost us and the great thing about it is that we had four other people to share the burden of the of the cost of the film so nice. it was a five thousand dollar budget all in we we each put about a grand in yeah everybody put about a thousand dollars ish into it and they all and we all basically shot acted directed i was the only one that did not act because i didn't feel like i was strong enough to pull off what i'd written but i hired two wonderful wonderful guys out of tony roma's uh, that's your casting studio <laughs> as you do yeah and then we were we were fortunate enough to go back to the festivals that we and win those with night of the dog oh wow yeah, we went back and we learned a ton off that first one because we realized that you need to pick it up like you got to get that entertainment value flowing well, and yeah. if you don't have production value you, you got to be entertaining you got to be like over here we're over here and hey we're out you know you like the, the movie was like 82 minutes long it was a barn burner for 82 minutes and you mm-hmm. had you know, like like everybody, it was like they were twenty minute shorts that we all kind of smushed together. And oh wow! The beginning for so everybody wrote their short, and they had nothing to do with each other except the theme. And then we were like, okay, well, how are we going to put all these together? Well, they all work in the same place. Okay, great. And then we all sat down and wrote the beginning, which took about six or seven pages. And they were like, well, how are we going to end it? And it was like, oh, we'll end it like this. And everybody sat down and wrote the six or seven pages of how they all come back together at the end. So wow. that was the fun part of it is that everybody could go off and do whatever they wanted to do, mm-hmm. you know? So like one guy went off on a crazy date 
And one guy went off and accidentally killed somebody. Or one guy went off and was getting chased by his girlfriend in his underwear and she's throwing phone books at him because she found his porn collection. And then one guy's got a racy neighbor that's trying to have sex with him while he's the nerd of the kind of house and the nerd of the nerd of the nerd of the apartment complex. <laughs> and then he realizes his neighbors are swingers, you know, and they're oh, trying wow. to have with him. So everybody went off on all these like really fun ideas that the only thing that was that the only thing that it, that that they had in common the only stipulation was that it had to begin was, and end. Yeah, and beginning and end of the same place and this theme running throughout it. Very so, cool. And, and we had a blast because it was like, you know, for all of our dearest friends working on that with us. And that yeah. crew was just the people who wrote and directed and, and starred would crew on each other's stuff. So it was like a crew of like four or five people on each movie. So mm-hmm. it was like that four or five people would crew my movie. That yeah. four or five people would crew Esham's movie. And we, we would switch DPs and everybody would DP and everybody would light and everybody would do sound. And and if you weren't doing those, most of the time, because the, the budget was so low, everyone's like the other three people are sitting on the curb just watching and being like, well, if you need something, let me know. If you need an extra walk, <laughs> I'll walk by. Yeah. Just you built a real community. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And a lot, you know, a lot of those folks we're still in contact with today. Yeah, and, we still uh, work and, with. And still working with. That's great. That's great. So after those first two films were, I mean, let's go chronologically. What happened next after Night so, of the Dog? Dude, so that one like got, you know, uh, focus called, you know, Miramax because called. we had gone hey, and we had won a couple nice. of these festivals with this little. Like we won a big movie. award at Santa Barbara. We won the audience award at like five other festivals. And mm-hmm. it was like, a, it, was, it was, people were hearing about it and they were like, okay, I got to see this. And the reviews like Ain't It Cool News, which was a very high profile site at the time. Yeah came out and was like hey this shit is off the hook like you gotta <laughs> fucking see this uh they nice. were to, like broken lizards and like all those kind of comedy troops at the time even though they were making five million dollar movies and we were making a five thousand dollar movie so they were just in those reviews were kind of like hey if somebody could give these poor bastards a dollar they might be able to make something fucking great <laughs> and so i think those companies read that and were like well shit let's see what they got yeah and ultimately those companies were kind of like we would get all the way to the top and it would be like a decision that literally like the head of the company, the head of acquisitions was making of like, uh, okay, look guys, I'm sorry. We're not going to pick it up just because the production value is so fucking low. (laughs) It's incredibly entertaining, but you know, but what it did was it gave us like audiences are going crazy for it. We learned a lot from that film. Yeah. And and we, so we ended up getting the representation and they tell us the first thing they tell us is, Hey, look, you need to stop making these scrappy little independent movies. The next movie you guys make five to ten million. It's going to be ten million. Five right. to ten million. And I think at the beginning, of, in the middle and beginning of the two thousands, like from two thousand to two thousand five, which is what this period is, that was totally feasible, and that's what you were seeing. You were seeing like a filmmaker come out with like a a, a smaller film, usually six figures at that time, and then coming out and doing a five million dollar movie next. You know, get a little mm-hmm. hype, and then boom, he would launch into some movie. You know, starring whoever that would make a make a five dollar five million dollar movie, right? And then, you know what? That's you know was the gift of those DVD revenue streams at the time. Those were still in place. So we yeah. wrote some, we we wrote for like three years, and we had one going with some amazing stars and some amazing producers. Um, but it took three years to get there. Um, but we finally had marched in, and, and it was right around 08. It, w- it was 08, not around. It was 08. And if you remember 08, 08, the DVD market crashed. We had the financial crash. Oh, yeah. It was a writer's strike. Yep. And it was a fucking it nightmare. Was, it was a wasteland in uh, Los Angeles for independent filmmakers. And so that all kind of went away, and it was literally like, you know, we were hooked up, we were, we were, we were hooked up in a mini major making it. 
and they had given us a budget. We had stars and we had great producers and they were just kind of like, all right, look, like, I'm sorry, the bottom is falling out of this, of not only the economy, but the DVD market. And they were like, like, this is no longer a $5 million film. You're going to have to do this for two. And we were like, and you just couldn't, we couldn't make that one for two. It was impossible. I don't mm. think we, it was too much. It was too much going on there. So they said, you got to write something. Our reps were like, write something that you could do for two. We're like, all right, all right, we're going to write something. We do that. So we go back and we write something that we could do for two, which was actually Small Town Crime. We wrote Small Town Crime. Okay. And Small Town Crime, we go out with that. Right. And right now, then it's like 2009. And if you remember, a year or two after, like this fucking financial crisis and the strike, there's no development money. There's no money coming in. There's no DVD revenue services. It's just looking bleaker and bleaker and bleaker. And now we go back out a year later with this script that all of our reps are excited about. And we're super pumped to do. It's about a $2 million budget. And they're like, okay, look, like all these companies. First-time filmmakers. Like no one's going to get first-time filmmakers $2 million. Well, no, we did two films. They're like, did you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're like the problem. They were saying the problem is is that you're ma- you've made two movies without star power. I don't even see a face I recognize in there. Although they're entertaining, it doesn't tell me you can work with an actor of a certain mm. caliber. And we're like, oh, okay, we didn't know that was a thing. So then, and it's not, who says it is? I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's not always. The it was caliber. a thing for them at that moment, right? Yeah. So that there, was what they were justifying. There were stars so we, and clerks. Yeah, Good you know point. what? And like, I don't, I don't know if that was the same environment because look, Clerks came about at a time where the, the DVD, earlier, VHS yeah. market, rental market was still in play. Right, and right. It's getting into this time where it's like, I need some security. I need that, some risk. You know, I need, I need to to curb that risk. And how do we do it? Yeah. We got to get some faces in here. Yeah. We got to get this. We got to get that. And then when we went around with that two million dollar film, they were like, look. I hate to tell you this, but this is a year later, and this landscape is drastically changing, and it has been ever since drastically changing every year. So you don't really know what you're going to walk, what minefield you're walking into every year. You can't really prepare like that. You just Mm. need to write what you're excited about and go out and figure out how to make it. Yeah. Whatever is there. But they said that $2 million film now is a $200,000. Oh, Jesus. And we went, (laughs) are you fucking kidding? Like, no, can you do this for 200 grand? We said, absolutely not. They said, well, then you got to go write something else. So, yeah, we went back to the time. And, and look, this is where it's. This is where we said, "Fuck this." It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's five or six years later. We, you know, the good thing is, look, we were frustrated. We hadn't been able to make a movie over these five or six years, but we had we had been writing, honing our writing, writing crafts. Writing. Yeah, we just been writing relentlessly. And so Ian and I got together and we said, "Look, let's write something that they can't stop us from making. That's of bigger budget. We can go out and we can try to get a. We can shoot it for two dollars, or we can shoot it for two million dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we wrote it for our hometown. It was called Lost on Purpose. It was a love letter to our hometown. It was a dairy epic. Uh, There's a big genre for the dairy epics. <laughs> <laughs> that market's just getting bigger and bigger, isn't it? But, but I will say the one thing we did is we kept that attitude of "fuck it." I'm going to write what I want, what I want to see, what I feel like writing, and how what we want to shoot. I don't like. There's we'd go places there like. You wrote a dairy film? Well, oh yeah, it's about dairy <laughs> films, about this, you know, young, this, this middle-aged like fucky a, dairy owner. Yeah, we're like it's like HUD meets American Graffiti. All right, okay. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, no, was, we, we were so pumped. we were pumped about it. So we were like, "Fuck it, we're gonna make it." And they're like, "Get it budgeted, get it budgeted." So we're like, "Okay." So we like they introduce us to this indie line producer. This guy's indie. They're like, he he's gonna help. He's gonna, get he knows how to crunch these numbers for you guys and make it a real world and working number. And this guy comes back with a budget of eight million dollars. Oh my god. 
it's got like street races and a working dairy farm street and all this. Fights, yeah, like, oh, so fights. he rewrote the script for you. <laughs> exactly. Oh, but he gosh. just he just didn't hit a number that we could achieve. And so well, we had all that in the script. He's just like, there's no way to do it for less than eight million bucks, you know. Mm-hmm. And so Ian and I have been Ian had been working as a swimming instructor uh, in LA for for young kids, teaching them to swim. And he had spoiled away like fifty grand. Yeah. And we were like, okay, we're gonna take and I, you know, didn't manage to save a nickel. Um well, he's still working at Arclight, which is hard to make a nickel when you're making seven, you know. Seven bucks an hour. But we had, we had, we'd, we'd taken that 50 grand and we said, we're going to go take this 50 grand. We're going to go back to uh, our Central Valley hometown and, and we're going to make we this were, move. We were saving everything we had. It wasn't like I had 450 grand sitting around. Yeah, that was, was over like, five years. Yeah. Five years, I saved every penny with the absolute point of making a film with it. Yeah. And we lived fucking destitute <laughs> we had like blow up furniture and fold out tables we had two blow up couches and i li- i slept in a sleeping bag in a vacant room with nothing else in it but we had a one-room apartment that we shared he slept in the living room on a child my, my bed from childhood the bed we had from, he had from childhood that our mom let us let us borrow um and then i slept in a sleeping bag for five years in the in the room um, and there was nothing else in that room but my clothes piled in a bag that was like 10 feet away from me. And so that's how we lived. And we had yeah. a computer yeah. set up in the living room. And we fucking saved everything. We saved every penny. We put it into this movie. And we're just like, fuck it. Like, we, we're going hard. Like, yeah. we're making this fucking yeah. movie. And so we said, we're making it for 50 grand, but we would really like to make it for 200 grand because that's what we thought with our indie roots, with making a $5,000 movie and a $1,500 movie previously. I think we could do it for 200 grand. You know, we, I, I we, think could we could deliver the quality that we wanted. I think we could do it. And so we went and that was like, okay, rental camera package, blah, blah, blah. We'd also run into a buddy of ours at the time who, Esh, uh, Johnny Durango, our DP. Uh, and he who, shot four or five pictures. With so us he now. shot the last like five movies with us. Wow. And it's because wow. of this moment, like Esh was making safety videos with him. Esh was his grip. Esh would go get him coffee and like wave gels in front of smoke machines trying to create fake fires off mm-hmm. screen so that you it would flash red on the wall and be like, oh, there's a fire, you know, and the people would run out placating, you know, safety videos. And we'd be showing Johnny all of our uh, shorts and features as we had gone along these last few years. And I remember at one point we got to Johnny and we showed, Night him, of the dog. showed yeah. him Night of the Dog and he said, you know what, the only thing wrong with this one is, and we said, what? And he said, I didn't shoot it. <laughs> and we're like, all right, let's rock and roll, baby. So then we went and shot a short with him um, and it went swimmingly and it was the best looking thing we'd ever shot like wow. times 25. Wow. It, yeah. Like he just brought the camera that he had and he, we all shot it for free and we spent about 1200 bucks on the short, which was a lot of money for us. We're mm-hmm. like 1200 bucks. Are you, are you kidding? We could do a feature for this. You know, <laughs> we were that like, sh- like skimpy with our money. He's like, just trust me. We're going to need this lens, you know, whatever. <laughs> it was literally like that was what we rented. You know, there's <laughs> like, always that like, lens. <laughs> fucking bullshit you know um and so that and like his airy kit that he had he came out we lit this thing and it looked fucking phenomenal it looked like it looked like a real fucking movie with like real depth of field and real lighting and we're like holy shit so we pitched johnny lost on purpose and he's in he's hyped he wants to do it and and he's from a small town in illinois and then we show him the budget of 50 grand he goes okay we gotta do better so he went out personally and we took him on as a producer, and he personally raised another ninety grand. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah. 
And then we, so we raised a hundred and we would, and our approach, I mean, here's a good thing for filmmakers, right? We saved every penny we had. We had 50 grand to start with. And when we went out to our first investors, we said, we said, Hey, we're making this movie the budgets, 200 grand. We've already got 50,000 in investments from people. We've already got smart. That. So, I mean, we're a quarter of the way there. And a lot of people believe in us. All these yeah. people back here, they gave us the 50 and they're like, wow, this actually sounds pretty good. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's going to be great. And we wouldn't take anybody's money until we had the film greenlit, but we would get an assurance from them saying, well, yeah, this actually sounds pretty good. I'll put five grand in. And that's what we did. We did it in five grand lots. Mm-hmm. I remember Steven Rogers who uh, recently wrote I, Tanya. Oh, okay. Really early and helped us out, and he like said, "Well, I'll give you, you know, I, I don't remember what ten, five or ten thousand dollars." He was just an amazing. associate producer, but like even he was repped at like ICM at the time, and he he came on board, and he was like, "Well, I'm at ICM. I just wrote this script, and it wasn't Itani; it was a Christmas script he just written, and he had kind of caught a flame over there again because, as you know, these like people's careers ebb and flow, yeah, and it's." It's not any fault of the person's career. It's literally like, did something hit? Okay, there's a, there's a, it's, it's surging. And did, did your last three movies make a bazillion dollars? Okay, maybe they didn't. They made half of a bazillion dollars. A little lab, you know. So it's like he was, at, he was at a point where he was starting to pop up again. He's like, I've got a little excitement going for me. The agency, like, I'll, let me, let me. Is there anybody over there that you guys want to use for this movie? Yeah, let me shill for you. Like, who's over there in, in ICM that you like? And we we're like, actually. Jane Kesmerick is somebody we're super excited about for this role. Um, big fans of Malcolm in the Middle, a bunch of the dramatic work like Pleasantville and some other stuff that she'd done. And we were just like, like she's phenomenal. We'd love to work with her. And he went and put the script on the Hildy Gottlieb, who's her agent, put it on her desk and said, hey, I'm helping produce this thing I, and, and I'm financing this thing. I'd love to have you come in or I'd love to have Jane come in to do a part. The guys are really excited about her. And so that's how it all started, man. It was like we were raising money and trying to get talent. And by the time we actually sat down with Jane, we had all our money. And it was like, hey, is this a real movie? And we're like, yes, it is. Uh, the other key piece, key piece of casting that came on was we shared a manager with James Lafferty of One Tree Hill fame. We, sh- we sh- shared a manager with, James's, with James. And, and he was spending 99.9% of his time in North Carolina shooting mm-hmm. this show for the past 10 years. It ran for about a decade. But he would get little weeks to come back to L.A. where he's from Hemet, which is about an hour or so away. And he, he was like, hey, I'm going to be in town. You guys want to – because we had started exchanging scripts via our manager because she was like, he's a really good writer. I want you guys to read each other's work. So she was like, well, he's in town for a week. You guys want to sit down with him? Well, yeah. So we, we, heard, we all heard he and us all read two or three scripts by each other and then sat down over sushi and we're just like, hey, man, like we loved your writing. He liked our writing. And we started just – building a relationship upon the writing side of it. And after we got done with the meeting, we were just like, man, he would be just talking to him. We're like, he'd be so perfect as one of these characters in that dairy epic we're writing. <laughs> and, he, and he just fit the vibe, right? He's a young guy. He's who, from a small town again, Hemet. Yeah. yeah. So we were like, dude, let us, would you read this script? And he was like, yeah, bring it over. Um, and he so, read it. And he wanted to be in it. And he was like, yeah, I'd love this character. I'd and, love to play this. And we literally gave him a choice. We said, look, you're from a small town we think you get the vibe of this like just pick a character if there's a character in here that gets you excited and there's five of them there's well, like five main dudes and we yeah. said that but he actually picked the character that we we wanted somebody else for so we're like James this is the one we want you to play well it was actually well the funny thing is there were five guys in the in, in like the main roles and they all worked on this dairy farm and and the the fifth fiddle the, the smallest part is the one he picked because his dad owned a this or that, which that guy had a dad that owned this or that kind of mm-hmm. vibe. And we were like, okay, 
you have that one 200%. Like, if you want it, of course. What do you think of this other guy who was like the fucking lead? <laughs> what do you think of this fucking guy? And he's like, let me reread it. So he went back and reread it. And then just having a conversation with him, he's like, he's like, he's like look, honestly, that is probably the other guy I most, you know, I, I most had in common. He's like, uh, and then we just talked about a bunch of stuff yeah, that was getting it. us excited about it, him excited about it. He's like, okay, yes, yes, I'll, wow. I'll play that. So, man, we went and pulled, we went and shot this thing, and we edited it in our basement. And of course, another evolution. The produ- you know, the production value is much higher. We've got a real DP. We've got a full crew. We've got name actors. We had like twenty-five to thirty people on the crew, and it was like a real fucking movie, and it looked amazing. It looked everyone we'd go to and be like, we we did a ton of little screenings of five to ten people as mm-hmm. we were doing our edit. And people would be like, how much fucking money did you guys have? Because there's like full on dairy functioning dairy farm. We got James <laughs> driving tractors and fucking compost. <laughs> like they got fucking doing everything. And they're like, what the fuck? But we just went to this dairy farm. And we said, hey, we don't have any money. If we give you like a half a percent of the film, will you allow us to just come on here and shoot? And they're all, what's the film about? And we told them about it because there aren't a lot of positive dairy films out there. We're like, right. this is a very positive film about how we grew up. And they're like, fuck yes. Like we're all in. So and cool. they let us just have the run of the place. And the one thing we told them was we said, look, we're never going to be able to apologize enough for how much of a pain in the ass, much of a pain in the ass this film crew is going to be. Uh, but we really appreciate it. And he's like, ah, it's fine. And then halfway through the shooting, you know, as like, we're doing some pretty rowdy things. He's like, you warned me. You warned me. <laughs> and the only thing we told them is, is, is we were just like, if anybody breaks anything or anything gets fucked up, like, we're going to pay for it. Don't worry. You know, like I will fucking sell my car to fucking fix this shit. Yeah. Whatever it takes. And what's amazing is uh, it was an amazing family. They've since gotten out of the dairy business, but they, they really have a lot of reverence for the film because it's a time capsule for their dairy farm. Yeah. yeah it's when their family dairy farm was at the very end and it's a, it's, it's amazing oh, wow. to hold on to it. It's like, look, this is what we were. You know, this is what where our family came from. That's beautiful. Yeah, we ended, so we ended up getting into festivals and um, having some success that we way. Won like, I think we won like 20 B-plus film festivals. But again, we okay. never got into a Sundance. You know, Sundance is not looking for that pro-dairy epic. It's <laughs> <laughs> not, not, shocking. Uh, it was shocking to us. And then, you know, a complete like, why the fuck did we think that was even going to work? You know, because you, you you do. You got you to gotta submit to Sundance. You got to try to get in there. But, yeah. but it, had, it, had a, it had a fairly warm reception. And, uh, and, and we someone came to us. It was a, a bunch of weird things happened there. So this guy we had this fucking incredible mantra. I got to cut in for a second. Sorry. Yeah. We had this incredible mantra where we said, no fucking festival is too small for us. Like we're going, we're going in. Everywhere. I don't care where this thing's playing. Three people in front of whatever dairy farm on a fucking pull down screen. We're going to be there. Yeah. And we're going to be like, yeah. we made this film for you. You know, like we're pumped. Um, so there was this little, we, we went to like 20 some odd festivals, some big, some small, some we couldn't go to somewhere in Canada. We didn't have enough money to fly there. We couldn't go, but we Skyped in or whatever. Like we tried to do everything we could, um, on our, on our personal shoestring budget because everything was in this film and we were working again, just trying to survive. Well, and, and what you don't realize is, is going to film festivals expensive, really expensive, especially when you're paying for it, right? You're taking off work, you're paying for flights, gas, food, hotel, like it gets, it adds up quick. Yeah. So we started writing. So we had run into, this sounds crazy, but we had run into Sharon Waxman through a relation through one of our, and she runs the rap. Mm-hmm. And she's and she's also a wonderful, you know, she's, she's written a couple of wonderful books and uh, on, on the on the industry. And we'd run into her and she said, well, hey, I love your story. Like, you guys want to come in and write 
some, some guest blogs. Some guest blogs? Like I'm doing all these guest blogs. Why don't you guys come in and tell me about your indie experience, the films you're making and what, how it's distribution, all that shit. We're like, yeah, that'd be so much fun. So we started doing this blog. And I think we only did three entries before we had to – we actually got, we got sidetracked. Film. <laughs> we got another film, so we had to stop. But we, we, uh, we were writing these guest blogs on there about distribution and how we thought distribution should be done. And some of the things that we like, we thought we could, you know, would help evolve the festival experience and make it better, not only for filmmakers, but the audience is to have like the big, the easy quick pitch was have revenue share for the filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about like, I'm taking 50% of the box office. It's like, okay, what was the, what is about the cost of you going to this film festival? What, what can I, what can the festival rev share? Cause we were selling out and this goes back to night of the dog. Uh, when we started first kind of self-marketing these yeah. films, selling out theaters in San, like in Santa Barbara we sold out a 1200 seat theater with $10 tickets wow and we were like 1200 yeah. seats for Night of the Dog a $5,000 movie one festival there were other screenings but that was one screening we sold out 1200 seats and we were just like if they shared with us at all in this one festival, we probably have enough to pay back our entire budget. Yeah, you know, and make so. another movie, or you know, it was, we'll it, make was movie. it was. We were just looking at how to sustain and, and make more stuff. And that's all we were after. It's like, how do you pay back your investors and get to that next movie? Especially when we felt we were being, we were pushing the fucking limits of being responsible with your cash because we were turning in every dollar on that screen as much as we could. Mm -hmm. I remember James would fly out. He was such a champion of the film. He would fly out, and obviously his fans from One Tree Hill adored him and would show up in droves for the movie for loss on purpose we would go places like uh anywhere fucking anywhere so we went to 20 City, Missouri, festivals. Yeah. he showed up to like a dozen of them Whoa. and again Whoa. it was just the turnout was amazing sold out screenings people standing outside trying to get in not only to see the movie but to get a look at him and shake his hand and 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 give him give him encouragement and be like yes we're your fans we're behind you we're gonna we're gonna fucking support you we're excited um, so, and, we, so we came up with these blogs and someone starts a film festival based on these blogs. He goes, I read your blogs and I started a film festival. And he dumped like hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> into a worldwide rev share website that you could put up your films on there and screen them across the world and be able to like give some compensation back to the filmmaker. A certain percentage wow. went back to the filmmaker. So awesome. It was based in L.A., the only problem with it was is that he, he ran out of money because he's funding it all himself. And he never had a, a real physical platform for it. Yeah. So he ran out of money. The festival ran for like two years. But the silver lining on it was is that he called us like a few years after that. And he was like, the most amazing thing just happened. He's like, because we stayed friends with him. And he was like, I sold the rights. He's like, I, I own the template for that online screening service. He's like, but he sold the he's, mechanism, so, the hardware, the every, software. Every festival you go to now where it's like, hey, we have an online thing. It's That's his system built into that now. Oh, wow. He rents that out to festivals now across the world. Um, yeah, and he was able to make his money back on I the I bet he did thing. this year when all the festivals went virtual. Yes. Yeah. He was. A, he, I'm I, sure he's doing. I'm sure it's sure part of that. Very okay. integrated part of that. Uh, but a friend he, of his, a friend of his, saw Lost on Purpose, uh, or no, yeah. was grousing to him like, "Hey, I'm ha I'm really frustrated because I have this book, these book, this book rights, and I've been at Brett Ratner's company, which was a company at the time, yep. and I've been at Tyler Perry's company, and I've been at this company and that company. She'd literally been to like five companies, and they were all." 
developing the movie into this $20 million, you know, big studio. They're like, this is a $20 million studio rom-com. Let's go for it. So she spent like five years trying to get that movie turned into a $20 million rom-com. And she was in development hell and frustrated. And she had half a million dollars from investors. And we understood Mm. instantly what she had been through because Ian and I had experienced that for the last previous years, five years before we made Lost on Purpose. The one that had just fallen apart before we decided to make Lost on Purpose. So she was like, I'm in this development hell. I can't get this thing going. I feel like I'm just going to be spinning my wheels my whole life. And she's like, I have half a million dollars. Can you guys read this? How much did you, she was first, she like watches the movie because the guy gives it to her and he says, if if you have half a million bucks, like these guys made this thing for 200 grand, he gives it to her and she watches it. It's like, put me in contest with these guys right now. And so she, she's like, I have half a million bucks. I have this book. Will you guys read it and tell me what you think? And so we read it and we're like, okay, well, like we love this and yeah, we could do it for half a million bucks. Totally. But we said, hey, we want to like, you know, let's work with, you know, she co-wrote it on it. It's like, let's take this script back to something more distilled down to the book yeah. that yeah. we can actually achieve for but the she, money that you But have. she agreed because it was just like, you know, you can't do it. You can't shoot a $20 million rom-com for half a million bucks. It's just going to look like you're yeah. trying to do that and failing. So yeah, we were just like, okay, let's, let's rethink this. And Esh and I had been working, you know, Bussing, bussing tables and fucking serving and working in movie theaters. We knew this world well because it was about a – it's called Waffle Street. And it was about a guy who was running this $30 billion hedge, hedge fund. fund. Yeah. He gets caught up in the housing crisis, blamed for all the shit that he becomes a fall guy for his, his, his real estate agency. And they're like – or his – I'm sorry, his investment company that was all based on that real estate uh, debacle. Mm-hmm. And he, he becomes a fall guy for that. And he gets so discouraged and disheartened and depressed about what had happened and what was going on with the state of the economy that he decides to go work at a waffle House. restaurant and try to redeem himself and figure out what the fuck he's going to do with his life. And that's the only thing you think to do. Fuck it. I'm just going to go work in the industry, in the service industry and try to get my shit together. And he meets this surly line cook who ends up being played by Danny Glover. And he, and this guy, it's kind of a we would we kept pitching it as like a Pinocchio story because it was like <laughs> he got broken down and then it was like turning him back into a real boy, you know. Yeah, he was like right. when he got back in touch with society and reality and people, um, and this surly line cook was just kind of dealing him real life lessons, like and being, you know, funny and really pointed with them and very sharp at certain times. But it was all things that were going to help build him into a better human being, and it did. And that was kind of what happened by the end of the – don't want to ruin the end of the movie for you, but he, he builds himself into a better man, a real boy by the end of the movie. Um, and it was a great tale. Uh, so we were just like, oh, this could be a lot of fun, man. Yeah. And so we, you know, we honestly told Autumn, we said, look, like, we'll do it, but you have to promise us that we're going to make this. Yep. And we'll even come on and rewrite it. And so she – she said yes. And so Esh and I went on. We spent three months rewriting the script. Um, and then we, within six months of us, her saying yes, we were casting and and down in, in Utah, in pre-production in wow. Utah. It was fucking incredible. Like we'd never experienced anything like that. And, this, and that was the first movie we were making where we didn't have to put our life savings or right. even the $1,500 that we had into it. Because every time we'd made a movie up to that point, we put everything we had into it. Mm-hmm. We put 1500 bucks into Squirrel Trap. That's all we had. Like, yeah. Our would have been, budget would have been higher. You yeah. know? So this is the only one where we were actually – and, we, and we, it wasn't a great deal of, of, of payment. But we got actually paid to make a movie and it wasn't our own money yeah. uh, being spent. And we were of the mindset as they were, the people making the film with us, the producers. And we were just of the mindset of let's just put everything on screen. This is a calling card for all of us. Like we want to put it all on the table here and just mm-hmm. put everything on the screen. And they're like, we totally agree. Like, let's do it. So 
everything we had, and that, that goes across the board, went up on that screen. Um, and everybody was very much not making any money and just trying to make a good movie. And that thing hit at an incredible <laughs> at a time, time because Netflix was just kind of gaining momentum, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Netflix it, it, was just, it was, yeah, it was chugging along. It was real just good. kind of picking up. And they were picking up movies and putting them on the front with like five movies. And they were kind of, this is the very beginning because days. Because they had a dearth of material. Yeah, right. they didn't have any. But they had tons of subscribers. And they were picking up movies and putting like five movies on the front of the website and saying, best, whatever, whatever the first, whatever the top five watched movies were, they were putting up there and saying, best on Netflix. Yep. And we were top five for fucking months. Whoa. Like, months and months it must have been three or four months and we were top five and it was funny because we'd go places and they'd be like uh people we oh yeah well, we made waffle street or whatever i, I saw that on yeah. Netflix. And it was like <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be up at like a, a micro brewery in portland and they're like what do you do oh i make movies like anything i see i don't know i mean I made, we made this little this movie called waffle street it's on netflix one time and this is when netflix still like had the the ratings thing in there uh-huh. and like uh-huh. Rated like 20, 250,000 times or something. Rated 250,000 times, which they usually say it's kind of like a 10 to 1 or maybe even a 15 to 1 of who watches the movie and rates it. Yeah. And so we yeah. were just like, holy shit, that's like millions of people watch this fucking thing. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty amazing to think about. It was incredible. Well, but, but what was the conundrum there was we had made Waffle Street and we showed it to our representation and they did not understand how Waffle Street was going to get us to, to Fat Man. Basically, <laughs> the crime thrillers that we had been writing, like Small Town Crime and Fat Man. Because yeah. our representation yeah. had picked us up off of Fat Man and Small Town Crime and another film, uh, which we will be making at some point. So I don't want to name it, but it's the middle one. It's the middle one that we Ooh. jumped over in May. But there's a middle one that's filled with fire and wonder- wonderfulness that we're going to make at some point. Um, but, they, cool. but they didn't quite get it. And they and so they said, hey, look, guys, we don't understand how this trajectory makes sense. Let's agree to amicably part ways. And so we were like, oh, yeah, well, that, that's we were we were a little upset because we were like we they were like, why are you making this? And we're like, well, we're making this because one, like we see a way to make a cool story out of it. And I think we could totally put our vibe on it. It's going to be great. We're pumped Two, we're going to get to make a movie. Like, yeah, you, like we've been you're not you haven't gotten us anywhere to help us make a movie and then we we've once landed in our lap we're fucking taking it and we're excited yeah. about and, it and it's interesting too because our, i remember our dad watching um lost on purpose and he said you know let's, like, just, let's just say lost on purpose purpose was written very realistically for the time it, yeah the age he goes i like the movie but is there any other word that you guys can use other than fuck <laughs> <laughs> and we, such and a we dad's thing that, to say <laughs> Yeah, oh my god, perfect, right? And so we had just so I want to be able to show my friends this movie. <laughs> and, and so when, when Waffle Street came to us, Ian and I were like, you know, this would be a, we got really excited about the opportunity to make what we call the clean routine movie. Because the, okay. the producers were very much like, You realize this is like a PG movie, we're all yeah, yeah, well, we totally get it. And we were actually really excited of the challenge of making something that you know, like, okay, are these jokes going to be able to land if we can't have the word fuck in them? Well, yeah, right. absolutely. Right. You just got to be a little smarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like clean comedians, you know. Exactly. It's a real talent so, that goes with them. Exactly. So what's interesting was we ended, up, we ended up breaking up with our representation. and So we had no representation when we made Waffle Street. And then we had oh, no – and then We had it during Yes, yeah, so we had it during, after. but then after they said, you know, well, we're going to part ways. Um, so we parted ways and then we started, we, the, those same producers, two of them, 
came to us and said, you know, we're really excited how this all went with Waffle Street. Yeah, this Street. went really well. We're really excited. We actually have some other financiers. Like, what else do you guys have? Do you have any material that we could say, well, look, we've got these crime thrillers, which are nothing like Waffle Street. Mm-hmm. But yes, we have these crime thrillers we're incredibly passionate about. They said, show us one. So we showed them Small Town Crime. They read it and they were like, okay, I think we can get the money for this. We're like, are you serious? So yeah, but you've got to be able to get, you got to, can yeah, you, who, what kind of talent can you can get? Can you get some talent on this? We got to get some talent on this. Like the financiers are going to. The first question they're going to ask is, "Yes, you." They're say is, "Yes, you can have the money, but who can you get on this?" And and so we went, "Okay." We, but we were incredibly blessed because of Stephen Rogers and a circle of friends that he he, he keeps and ingratiated us into. And this is we, way back in two thousand. Yeah, this is when we first okay. came to town in two thousand two. But we had been keeping these relationships uh, the whole time. He had introduced us to Octavia Spencer, Tate Taylor, who did uh, who directed The Help and many other movies. Uh-huh. And Alice and Janie, all these people. Melissa McCarthy. We were all friends of his that he either went to acting school with or had had, had spun into his circle through other friends of friends. And they all just kind of hang out and shoot the shit. And at the time, you know, it's 2002. Melissa McCarthy was coming off Gilmore Girls, which is super exciting. And she's great in that. But she wasn't Melissa McCarthy like she's Melissa McCarthy now. And Alice and Janie was uh, just coming off or she was in the middle of, I think, or just coming off of uh, West Wing, which she's fucking great. in. she she was a couple years out on like American American Beauty, uh, which she's amazing in as well. But she wasn't Alice and Janie like she's Alice and Janie now. And Octavia Spencer had had like two lines in Spider-Man and one line in being John Malkovich. And she's she was not undeniably talented, undeniably talented, but was not Octavia Spencer like Octavia Spencer is now. Yep. And Brunson and Tate. Um, had shot Brunson had produced a couple of like really small movies. He's a producer on the help. He's a producer. He produced the help and he and Tate teamed up and made this short film called chicken party, which Esh and I just uh, came on and to shoot uh, like flashback sequences on. And so half of it was shot in film and half of it was shot in our DVX 100. This was kind of going on at the same time in parallel lines as we were making our movies, they were making their movies and we would come over and help them when they needed this or they needed that, or, Hey y'all, can we borrow your camera? Okay, you can, but we're going to be the ones shooting it. We wanted the experience. Right? Yeah. Hey, can we yeah. DP it? So we'd come out and do the camera cameraman for him. Um, and it was fucking great. We got to work with Octavia. We got to work with, with Allison. We got to know and work with Melissa. And like, so when it came time to get small town crime and that actor attached, Octavia had, uh, had hired us to adapt a book that she had optioned into a TV show. And so we came oh. over there and we had just cut the trailer for Wa- for Waffle Street. And we showed her and she's like, oh, shit, you guys got Danny Glover. I love Danny Glover. And she was hyped on it. And she was like, you know, what else are you guys doing? What else are you working on? I said, well, <laughs> we, had just finished, we had just finished this lookbook for, for uh, Small Town Crime and we happened to have it on us. And so- the other thing about Octavia is that she loves crime thrillers. And we knew this because she was watching like. I mean, now it was like Making of a Murderer and a couple other things. But before that, it was other Staircase, a couple other shows. But she'd be like, I could see it in his eyes. He did it, y'all. He did it. You know, she would get like really pumped up. And she, she's written her own like uh, kids detective series. Called I Ninja didn't know Texas. that. She's super oh, into she's like into mysteries it. and crime thrillers. And like uh-huh. she fucking loves it. And so, so we knew her kryptonite yeah. going in. So we showed her this Smart. book and she's like, Boys, this what? looks awesome. Give me that script. <laughs> so she called us back like 24 hours later. And she's like, I love it. I'm in. I mean, peeing it. Is there like a cop or something I could play in this? Whoa. And we were like, and we were like okay, okay. We literally took a night. We said, we said of course. Let us. Uh, yes, 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 yes. And we were just like, what role can we get her in in this? And we'd had such fun 
with, and this is where the idea came from, right? We had had such fun with Danny and James and that dynamic on Waffle Street where, you know, it's an interracial dynamic. You've got this white guy getting his ass kicked by Danny Glover, this old surly black guy, and he's just fucking laying it down. And, 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 and we fucking love that dynamic. And they, they were having fun with it. And the movie has fun with it. And we were like, okay, well, what can we do in this one? Like, oh, shit, what if Octavia Spencer plays John's adopted. John Hawks's adopted. We didn't sister. have John Hawks yeah. at the time, but we were like, what if a white guy is adopted into a black family and then fucks it up. He's like a total he fucks it all up. It's like the reverse <laughs> upside down blindside or some shit. Right. Like that really funny. Like, and there's no comment on it. There's no, like we actually, I remember when we were doing screenings of it, like the initial screenings, we had a guy, you know, one of our more retentive uh, friends was Very like, detail you know, I'm not quite sure uh, back in 1974 when John would be a child, if he could be adopted into a black family at the time. And we're like, I don't give a fuck, man. Like, this is funny. Like, this is <laughs> awesome. What we want to see is what we want to yeah, live in. This is the fucking kind of world I want to live in. Like, yeah. I don't care how, what the percentage is. Like, this is a fun idea. <laughs> Whatever it was, this was that <laughs> percent. That's that family. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, so we pitched it to Octavia <laughs> and she's like, man y'all that sounds like a lot of fun she's like i think that's a really cool idea so she's like bring your list so we brought our list of actors and we all landed on john hawks right so she goes okay i'm gonna go out to him and she writes john this letter has to fax it to him because john is not a, you know technologically forward old he's, school he's very much a, well, a, a there was all these amazing stories of john where they were like you know he lives in an rv down by the ocean well what the fuck <laughs> and he doesn't have any doesn't have any cell service doesn't have a cell phone doesn't have anything he lives off the grid and Whoa. we're like holy fuck I do, like, I do know the letter was faxed to him. Though. Yeah, so the letter was faxed to John. And okay. it said, hey, John, you know, I, you know, we, I love you for this movie. The guy, I know these guys. I back them 100%. I think you're going to be great in this. We've, we've, we've been in a couple movies, but we've never had a scene together. Let's remedy that. All I'm going to say is we play brother and sister. And so <laughs> later on, John Hawks was like, I read this letter from Octavian. I'm just like are you like, what fucking movie is this where we're playing brother and sister? This sounds like the jerk or like, what the fuck is this? And she had done, you know, like, so of course I'm going to read yeah, it. So he's like, I got, I got to at least read it. So he said he reads it and he was like, and he was like, and I'm like, okay, fuck yes. Like I'm super excited about this. Like this detective role, like this is going to be a lot of fun. And come, come to find out he's a big fan of sort of, you know, this detective thriller genre. Mm-hmm. And he was excited to do a role like this. So, um, so I remember we sat down with John and he said, he comes into the one-on-one cafe and we sit across from him and he's like, okay guys, like I've only read it three times. And we're like, <laughs> this is like 24 hours from when he Holy read it. So shit. He's like, I've only read it three times. We're like, I think we got the right guy for this. <laughs> Boom. And, and then from Octavia and John, though, it was like, okay, who do you want next to play her brother? Right? Yeah, Octavia's like, who or her husband. my brother? Who wants my husband? Who wants yeah. my husband? And we're like, well, we actually wrote it with Anthony Anderson in mind, you know, because like he- Love him. Like we love him and he he has this embodiment of like likability and love ability oh, yes. and, and he had he has a limited amount of screen time for the pivotal role he plays at the end so we were just like you have to we have to cast somebody that is so lovable innately that you want to save him you know <laughs> you feel bad that he's in peril yeah so that's and she's like oh man anthony she's like you know he's just got blackish going y'all i don't know if i'm gonna be able to get him she's like but you know what Anthony and I get her nails done at the same salon. I'm going to see if I can, I'm doing what I can do, y'all. So we're like, holy shit, awesome. So, and she literally called us like a week later. She's like, Anthony's in. Whoa. Wait, which day, boys? 
yeah, so she, she's like, it wasn't at the nail parlor, but I ran into him. <laughs> she's like, I ran into him at a parlor or at a, a party. She's like, I ran him at a party and I pitched him and we, we had a good old time. And then he read the script and she's like, and he's in, he loved it. And with that trio, then we were able to roll out. We got Katie Lotts, Robert Forrester, Michael like, Vartan. Like, uh, Cl- Clifton Collins Jr. Just so many wonderfully talented actors. Yeah, we, we filled it out with just these amazing actors. Uh, people we had been dying to work with um, came in and filled in these other roles. And it was it was just fucking incredible. That That's was incredible. amazing. It was like every day was like, you know, there was like Jeremy Ratchford. And we got to, you know, got to work with James Lafferty again in that movie. Like just all of our – Dale Dickey again. Yeah. Just all of our favorite fucking actors we got to – uh, Bring for one big party. Yeah, it was so My much God. fun. God. Yeah, and then we finished that and we debuted at South by Southwest. So that one we got into South by Southwest with. Yeah. And uh, we screened at the Paramount. It was a 1,200 seat. Again, another 1,200 seat theater, but 1,200 seats in the Paramount and, in Austin. And I think it's interesting to frame this. We had sat down with the festival coordinator beforehand and she said, hey, look, guys, like this isn't a, a, a festival that makes big sales. You're here to make connections. Let's get your expectations. This isn't Sundance, okay? She's like, we're a wonderful (laughs) festival and and we're amazing. She's like, but you don't come here and make a big million, multi-million dollar sale. She's like, you come here, you network. This is about filmmaker experience. This is about making the movie. It's about the filmmaker experience, about collaborating with people, meeting people. And we're like, fuck, all right, well, we got to fucking, and we, we got to be the one that does. And Ian and I like, <laughs> please tell us that something is impossible. Please tell us that something that isn't, isn't going to happen because that's when we go. Okay. I remember we literally walked up to her. And we're like, and Janet, we're going to be that. Our publicist movie. was good friends with <laughs> Janet. And we walked up to her at the end and we said, Janet, we're going to be that movie. And she just laughed and she's like, all right, prove me wrong. <laughs> so the most amazing thing was that at, by the end of the, at the end of that first screening, we had 1200 seat auditorium and we had, Everybody, you can imagine the Austin film scene there because I think just the cast and the pitch of the film was like, okay, this could be fun. And we had, so we had this thing fucking packed. And at the end of the film, there's the shootout. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the film, the, these, this fucking 1200 seat auditorium rose to its feet and gave a standing ovation. For one like, of those moments, man. It was, it was incredible. And I mean, Indy and I are so nervous. We're sitting there on the wings. We can't sit down. You know? I'm li- we're literally like this watching the movie. <laughs> you know, to the corner. And then when that moment happens, because you hear chuckles and laughs, but you're just not quite sure if everything's landing. And then there's plenty of times a movie screens of yours and they're like, yeah, it was really great. The review comes out and they're like, a complete piece of shit. And you're like, so you don't know. You don't yeah. know. You don't know what's going to happen. So we're sitting there literally just like, oh, fuck, is, there, is this happening? And then, like, they give that standing ovation, and we're literally like, oh, my God. You know, it was, like, it was like we had won an Oscar or something, you know. For us, it was like everything, like like this fucking moment of, like, just emotional. Fucking- yeah, it's tough because, you, you know, you put – these movies are hard, man. They're, they're, they're over a year of your life. And you just yeah. put every fucking minute of your life into them. You know, you have families, you have shit to do and you spend 16 hours of your 24 hour day is sitting either writing or shooting it, or then you're back editing it. Yeah. Or then you're mode it. And you're trying to figure out this and that and you're fucking doing deliverables. It's, it's a lot for a year, man. You just, it's, it's everything. And you have everything riding on it and your heart and your soul and your mind is in this fucking movie. <laughs> And everything is, yeah, not, not only are you emotionally attached to it because it's a child of yours, but like it's your fucking career. Your well-being it's your is dreams. really tied to it. It's everything you ever wanted sitting in, at that point, a hard drive, sitting in a hard drive in front of you and you just want people to fucking like, like it in, or not even, it's not even that. It's like I want to be able to communicate with people in a way that they know 
like what I'm trying to get across here. You yeah. know, it's like it's an understanding, you know, I, I just want to be understood with this fucking movie. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was really happened, rewarding to have that happen. That was the first one it, it ever happened on that we'd been sitting with wow. 1200 people that it fucking happened all at the same moment. And uh, hoots and hollers, big standing ovation, like we're nearly crying. And then, you know, we go up on the stage afterwards and it was amazing because our publicist was like, you got to bring the cast. I don't care what you do. Like you got such a great cast and these people are so supportive. Like let's bring them. So we've literally brought like 13 people in the cast, flew them in. Wow. Thank you producers. Flew them in. And we had this fucking train up on stage uh, and we got another standing ovation. Because that's truly what it is, right? Like it's, it's th- these movies are such a collaborative yeah. endeavor, you know, oh, yeah. there's not, Two people sitting there making this all happen. And it's that's an just, army. That's that's just the leading roles in the film. That's not anything of the fucking fifty oh, people. Creative that people below. Yeah, killed themselves to you know over a few months to fucking give you something you like you can deliver to people and be passionate and excited about. So we had this huge train up there, and it was just amazing. And everybody got to kind of talk for about a half hour. Uh, and, and the film ended up selling out of there. We ended up selling it. Wow. What we made it for. Yeah. It was fucking amazing. Like, it was millions of dollars, and fucking they made their money back. And, like, we got really good reviews, and it was just fucking really fucking cool, man. That's amazing. <laughs> I feel like so that's got, what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And so we got representation again. We kind of armed back <laughs> up. And, uh, and from there, they were like, what other scripts do you guys have? And so we gave them like three scripts that we were excited about. And they were like, okay, we like all these, this one, this fucking fat man script. They're like, this thing is all you guys. So I think that's what we should do next. They're like, I've never read anything like that. I've never seen anything like that. They're like, do this one next. And no matter what, like, it's going to be your voice. It's going to be a stamp. It's going to be, this is the Nels brothers. <laughs> so we said, "All right, we're that we're fucking." We, we honestly didn't script. think that we would be able to make it so soon. We thought we were one or two away. We thought we were going to have to do a movie or two in between. Yeah, because of the idea is so rowdy. You know, it's such a crazy movie. That, it, well, the idea is rowdy. Yes, but you know, our take was to make it ultra right. grounded. Our, our take mm-hmm. was very grounded, but the movie, when you read it, you're like, "What the fuck is this?" You know. <laughs> Um, and so we would go into meetings and pitch it and talk about it. And they set us up with a bunch of places. But the one thing we had is we had small town crime to point back to and say, it's like this, mm-hmm. it's like this movie. And they would say, I get it. Okay. There's a lot of heightened characters and fa- fantasy and fucking crazy shit going on, but you're going to play it straight. And we're all like, yes. And they're like, we think that's pretty fucking cool. And I think that brings us to the main course of the evening. Yes. Yeah. Right. A <laughs> <laughs> long way around. Yeah. So Fat Man gets greenlit. How does Mel Gibson jump on board? I mean, we had, we had seen Mel Gibson in, uh, well, we've seen Hacksaw Ridge. Yep. And then Mel Gibson came out to do the Q&A afterwards. Sorry, I'm just looking for time. We have another meeting. And he's, and he's sitting there okay. and he's got a, oh yeah, we're, we're fine. Okay. We got, he's got a, a feral beard and he's just come off the production so that, you know, he's a little he's in the worn middle down. Of fucking run so he's been flying everywhere with this movie and he's like this hunched over and he just looks like he's Man. passionate but the weight of the world's there it's right there on his shoulders and he's like oh yeah we did this movie and uh, oh yeah it was very it was amazing to watch and, and Ian and I turned to each other and we're like oh that's the guy that's like the guy. that's that's Chris right there that feels if yeah. Chris Kringle was a real guy that's how he would feel right now right he would feel exactly like that guy does how the fuck am I going to pull this off? What, how did I do this? What do I need to do next? I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I got to do something. And like, how do I, how do I, 
how do I, how do I fix this? Or how do I, you know, it, he had that like weight of the world on him. And we just, we just saw the script unfolding before us through yeah. his eyes, honestly. Yeah. So then it was like, now you go, go get him. Right. So we, uh, we found partners to make the movie. We were submitting the, um, we submitted to his agent and there was a waiting game. It was like, okay, is he going to respond? Is he not going to respond? And I'm, we were still having meetings with other production companies and other possibilities, but in the, I get this email that says, uh, Hey, I love the script. Uh, let's have a chin wag or whatever. Really funny. Let's have a chin wag. And then, we have no idea. There's no sign there's off. No sign off. And the mm. fucking, you know, and the, in the email names, like, you know, has nothing to do with anything. So I'm like, okay, well I like write it back. Cause I've been you know getting emails like this for the last month of like, Hey, yeah, great. Let's sit down and have a meeting and right. talk about it. So I'm like, awesome. So glad you dug it. Like, who am I talking to? You know? And he's like, oh, hey, sorry. I, f- I forget to sign off. This is Mel. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, it's Mel. He likes the script. I can't believe it. Uh, and so we made a uh, made a date to go sit down in a coffee shop. About 45 minutes was the plan. And about three and a half hours later, we were still there. <laughs> still talking on the way to the car, you know, like oh, just God. excited about the movie, excited about movies in general, yeah. talking about the character, talking about what we were going to do with it and why we were excited about it. It was it was fucking great, man. We just really gelled over it. And the penultimate moment uh, was probably when he says, and this is where we knew we just had the right guy um, beyond everything we saw in him, is when he said, you know, that scene where I'm on the balcony, I'm looking out over the elves, and he's like, and I've got to break this really bad news to them. He's like, I feel like, like I mean, man, if this is Santa, like this is going to be a really devastating thing to have to tell these people that have been with him for so long, like, this is pretty devastating that this is where we're at. He's like, I feel like I'd be like in a moment about ready to cry. He's like, cause I mean, this is devastating. It's that that horrible. Yeah, 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 exactly. And he's all, and that's, what's going to make it so funny. And we're all (laughs) exactly, exactly, man. Like, like that's the, that's what we're after. You know what I mean? That's exactly those layers right there. Exactly what we were after, you know, take something that's batshit crazy, ground the hell out of it, make you, Cause there's a comment, there's social commentary running throughout it. Um, and, and honestly, if you, if we felt if you played it too hammy, all that's going to be lost. If you can easily, it's disposable. Oh, great. The com- commentary. Yeah, right. I mean, that was a bunch of horse shit. So when you, when you ground something and you're made to sit in it and like really ponder the that's reality, the real world. Yeah. If, if that was really happening, you're instantly like forced to go, well, fuck how do we fix that? Or how do they fix that? Or what can they do? And then, I mean, just to give an overall arching theme, because we're here, it's like by the end of the film, this guy decides to take action and do it one person at a time mm-hmm. in person. That's a bit of a spoiler, but I'm just saying like, <laughs> I'm just saying like it is, but I'm just saying like, but there's no better time. I think to connect those pieces, right? It's yeah. like yeah. what we were trying to do with the film and what we were trying to say with the film um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's really the crux of that film. That's the guts of that thing right there. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that it was so grounded made it so unique, you know, I, it was, it was a really, really uniquely toned kind of a thing because like you said up front, it's not really a comedy. It's not really a Christmas movie. It does have like this underbelly to it. You know, it's all of these things, which I think people want nowadays because I think that people are just getting bored of the trappings of genre and they're looking for stuff that's a little bit different, that's uncategorizable. So this is just a breath of fresh air on top of just being fun and legitimately dramatic. I mean, like, damn, it was it was a real blast, a great way to start off the holiday season. Awesome. No, and that's what we were striving for, right? We were striving to find something that hadn't been done before. Yeah. In a tone that was unique. And for us, like, if we... if, if Farce is disposable. 
Yeah. So we, totally. that, was, that was never an option for us, never anywhere we wanted to go. It's like it's like camping up action, right? If you camp up the action and it's all fun and hokey dokey, then it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, you know, school shooting looks pretty fun. Like, fuck it. You know, <laughs> but if you make the action like if you make the action like fucking devastating and you take the hokey shit out of it and it's really fucking like gross as it would be, yep. and you're like having a visceral reaction, like, Jesus, that was fucking intense. You know, it was entertaining to watch, but it's not anything I want to be in the middle of personally. Yeah. Like, I think that's what you really need there's to a, have. That's what we were after. In a consequence. There are consequences for your actions and it could end like this. You know, yeah. that's what that commentary is kind of building towards. It's saying, hey, you know, we're circling around all these fucking horrible things and they very well could lead to a violent, horrible, graphic ending. Yeah. Yeah, and Tarantino's talked about how violence is the only thing. If you do it well on camera, you get penalized for it, you know? So just like with his violent scenes, with the exception of like, you know, Kill Bill and parts of Django are so painfully realistic. You know, they deal yeah, with the right. consequences yeah. of people getting shot. But uh, so I I'm a, what's that? I agree with that. I think that's, yeah. I think that's I'm a huge Walt Goggins fan. So yeah, great. what was it like working with him? I just, I've followed his career for so long. I keep waiting to see him in more stuff. I, I he, he seems like such a leading man to me. I, every time he pops up in a movie or a TV show, I just, I get excited. I just, I love the guy. So what was I, that experience like? Everything you want and more. And I yeah. keep waiting for that breakout, like Nicholson type role for him. Totally. Right. I, I, he's absolutely got that. And I just saying that while we were watching him, you know, in the, in, it's hard to see when you're in the moment, you just see Walton doing his thing. But when you're editing and you're seeing it 25 fucking times, you're like, holy shit, like this guy, this guy has so much latitude. Like he can literally fucking run like this on uh, dancing pirouettes at the same yeah. time through different types of characters um, and it, make them believable. But it was kind of a great, I mean, when we sat down with Walton, look, we were, we were, we were talking to many people about the, the role of skinny man and Walton came out and he instantly stood out for us. I mean, he got, he, we were sitting in a, in a coffee shop and we're talking about the script and we're getting amped up and geeked out about it. And I remember he stood up and he started instantly like not full send acting out scenes, but right. like getting in character and, and giving there's us plenty lines. of people there. So it's not like he's just, we're just alone somewhere. It's almost like Walton just has this and he does it on set too, this incredible ability to just kind of block everything out and go into this zone where he's laser focused on something and, and he can, he can channel whatever you want to call it, hone, fucking dial into something that is so specific and and fucking brush everything else away and just full commitment to it and release himself to it and and you you get that on set and i remember when like we would be in between takes and stuff and like i mean he has a very particular way about him this skinny man in the movie and like in between takes we'd be like hey well you know where you're asking about lunch you're asking about fucking something else anything even maybe even maybe even character related but no matter what you're asking about he'd be like yeah, uh, I think we could do that. Or, you know, he'd be in, in, in character. In the character. He's not fully in the character. He's yeah. just simmering. He's yeah, keeping right, it just right. warm. He's keeping it just beneath the surface. So the and, voice is there. The mannerisms are there. Yeah. But he still responds to Walton <laughs> and is still answers that he, the human being would be answering. It's just, it's all kind of there, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's so good. It's got to be so refreshing working with somebody like that. He gives, and he's incredibly collaborative. And, and I mean, honestly, like I remember we, we would drill down with him on scenes, on character. Like, how can we, you know, bring this out, enhance that? And then on the day, he's giving you such a, a wide swath of material. Like, oh, let me try this. Right, like stick my freaking napkin in my shirt. And it was like sticking out in front of me and like, you know, cutting the duck head off. Like he's just doing a bunch of, <laughs> yeah, bunch of really funny stuff. He gives you what you want and then yeah. he starts having, you know. And it's, so and, cool. Uh, 
sometimes those super fun ones are in the movie and sometimes they tip over a little bit and you got to pull it back. But I mean, he knows that he's like, I'm going to give you 125. Yeah, and he, and he, pull like, it wherever you want y'all. This yeah. But like, I just, I'm going to go. Like, I'm going to pull it off. I'm going to try to pull it off. Right. Just go with me there. Just be with me. Like, all right, we're going to go. And he would jump in there and fucking be like, boom. And he's in it, you know? I feel like that's what you want. You know, an actor who's willing to take in so many different directions is willing to kind of like give their own direction to the character after they, you know, do exactly what you're, you know, asking for. But that's so cool. We try not to get uh, too over analytical or, too, or flap our gums too much with the actors. Like we want to see people that ask for it and want it and need it. And that's great. Yep. You want to be that person. Like someone like John Hawks is very like, let's fucking talk about this. And you talk, talk, blah, 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 blah. And he, he's, he's channeling it all away. He's doing his own thing too, but he loves to like get in there and really dial everything down personally with you. Whereas like Walton or even Mel or Mary Ann for that extent um, and chance they'll, They'll come in with something prepared and you don't want to fuck that up. Yeah. Like these people have been working on this for fucking months or weeks or whatever it is, but they've got something specific that they have planned for this and you want to let them run. Oh yeah. Let them be talented. Right. Yeah. You absolutely want to see what's being presented, what they're coming to at the table. And if we want to make adjustments after that, like awesome, you know, and they're obviously down to do that. Um, But yeah, it was, it was just really a blast to work with them. Yeah. So cool. So, I mean, considering the entire history that you guys have had with filmmaking, it it sounds like there were there were a lot of kind of marathon moments and in certain cases, a lot of difficulties that you guys faced. Throughout the course of your entire filmmaking career, was there any dark night of the soul where you potentially Dude, considered <laughs> Well, was there ever a time when you thought about what thought about God forbid giving up? And if so, what what pushed you through that? What pushed you over that hump? I can tell you this. We, we came out to L.A. and I, I didn't know anybody, didn't know anybody, didn't know anything. And we just sat down in an apartment and started trying to figure it out. And from the perspective of a guy working in a movie theater and a guy moving, working at Tony Roma's, like that's where it started. We didn't know mm-hmm. a fucking thing about even making movies, where to go to make them, what to do, who to talk to about it. Um, and we just started from there. And we never... There were moments where it was never a moment of, are we ever going to quit? It was always a moment of, when the fuck is this going to happen? Like, what the fuck? Like, why is this taking so freaking long? And there were so many moments that we would get close and have it fall and get close and have it fall and have it close and have it fall in so many different ways. Almost sold a script, almost uh, got a great director attached to a script, but then if it just couldn't get going for whatever reason, yeah. got great actors on a script that we were on to direct that we'd written. And for some reason it just wouldn't get going, whether that's a financial crisis or we, we couldn't find the right, uh, financing partner. Um, but I don't think quitting was quitting. Quitting has never been an option for us and we've never considered it. It was always, what are our options? And I also think yeah. Ian and I are blessed and that there's two of us. Mm-hmm. And so when one of us is feeling mopey, feeling down, starting to, starting to feel the burn. The other one's there to pick that person up. Yeah. Carry the baton and say, hey, look, like, you know, give them the rah-rah speech. And I think a lot of that has to do, honestly, because we talk about it all the time. Like, like our, our, with our parents, honestly, like our parents were grinders. You know what I mean? And then, uh, like, I just coming from a, a sports background, like I wrestled all the way through college. And in that sport, you have to fucking grind. It's all about how hard you work and you see the payoff out of the hard work. And it's years and years and years of you just getting mopped up before you start to see, oh, 
if I just kind of do it a little bit like this, like I'll have 50% more results. But it yeah. took years and years for you to get that little tiny nuance of insight yeah. that starts to pay off for you. And that's with everything. You got to make a commitment. You got to go out there and just start swinging and fighting like hell and try to be as brave as you can because I did have him and he had me to lean on. And that's not always the case. And that definitely probably makes it harder. But you need to go get a group of friends like we did and we do. We have two or three groups of friends of filmmakers mm-hmm. uh, that the people we made Night of the Dog with are different people from who we're friends with with Octavia and um, and, and Steven. Steven. Like mm-hmm. those are two different groups of friends. Yeah. Very near, near to us, but two very different types of friends and two very different groups. But that's like, I think just, you know, you surround yourself with people who are excited and as passionate and as driven as you are. And probably the most frightening thing that'll happen is they'll drop away. Most Mm -hmm. of them will drop away. Right. And you are, and then you're left at the end of about four or five years going, Holy fuck, we're the only ones still out here or it's us and him. And we're the only ones still out here. Everyone's still trying, but they like moved to Portland or Maine or Mm -hmm. Boston or got the fuck out of town because they had kids they couldn't afford to live here or they got a job at an ad agency because they had to pay the bills. Um, and they're still trying, they're still working on it, but there's some, there's a difference between being a thousand percent in and, and how much time it takes to, to oppose to having, you know, three toes in and your other seven, seven fucking toes are in the ad agency trying to fucking make a living. You know what I mean? Right. Like, there's always, it's always a fight to figure out, how do I keep as many toes or fingers or whatever you want to say? How do I keep as much of that time focused towards film? How do I do that? Because it's all time, right? It's like, where do I balance and measure my time? It's like, if you're, if you have to work a job that's going to cut into it, but how do I get it to not cut into it that much? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So you have to be kind of a bit of a master of fucking time management. You have to be like, I need to be spending more time here, writing, directing, editing, socializing to a certain extent. Absolutely. Um, than I need to spend during on my, my day job that pays the bills. Yeah, and I think it's also a blessing that, that we had people that were successful that reached back and helped us. That helped a ton. And then and at so, crucial points. And so Stephen Rogers, a small town crime, came and gave us a little bit of financing, helped us get some key talent from a from a big agency. Octavia Spencer again reached back, said, Hey, I'm gonna fucking shepherd this thing for you. Wow. And those are decades of fucking relationships. You know what I mean? Yeah. If we would have gotten there first we would have reached back and pulled her up. You right. know what I mean? And something we're doing right now is like, we're trying to help facilitate some of our friends and fellow collaborators and, and make them. So and we've got their half a dozen fingers back trying to pull them up at certain extents, you know? It's amazing. Just karma. It's karma. It's filmmaking and karma. Hardworking people. Like I wouldn't be trying to fucking reach back and pull up somebody that you said, think had the eh, sauce. fuck it, or just kind of writes yeah. on the week. You know what I mean? These are people that have been fucking grinding and they've earned it and they're fucking good and they work hard. And it just takes time and commitment and camaraderie, honestly. You need other people. This isn't yeah. a business you do on your own. I think there, there's a big misconception that if somebody else is successful, that's going to take away from your opportunity. Right. That scarce, scarcity mindset. Yeah. yeah. But the, 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 the truth is actually the direct antithesis to that. Completely. The more people that you support, the more people around you that are successful, that increases your chances of success. No, of so course. Be supportive. be supportive and be helpful and when they say, oh, fuck, like, I got to find a, a PA on this set and I can't pay him anything but minimum wage, even though you're going to be working 25 hours. I know that's illegal, but I'm just saying, <laughs> like, 
be that guy. Yeah. Fuck it. I'll do it for free. Let's fucking do this. I'm game. Well, you're like, yeah. the chair, what are you doing? Like, that's what you're here for. That's the kind of shit you're here for. Right. You meet the entire crew. You meet the entire cast. You're a PA, but you're a fucking writer and a director as well. That's where you start, man. Yeah. That's where you go. It's a community you're, mindset. Yes. And then those people go, what are you working on, Bill? And you're like, well, I've got these fucking scripts I'm working on. Well, shit, I'd like to read one. Tell me about it. You know, and you fucking, you pitch them and they're like, that sounds fucking cool. Is yeah. it any good? I don't know. Give me the script, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think you just have to approach everything, even if it's the most basic job and just give it every single thing you have. Yeah. And just be great at it. No That's the other thing is. we that we try to do is no matter if I'm holding the boom mic or whatever, I'm not half-assing it. I'm not asleep with a tweaky in my mouth. I'm this son of a bitch is out yeah. there. Yeah. Two inches out of frame and we're nailing this bitch because if I don't do that, that is going to carry over in people's minds as to like what my work ethic is going to be like when I'm in control or when I'm writing a script. Yeah, of course. Be a partner with. Well, he's going to be a piece of shit with a twinkie in his mouth. Okay. Or I don't want to work with that guy. Today, you know, the, 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 the real cliche is you look around at a bunch of like up inspiring, really hungry people and they're they're on the set and they're looking at their phones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a pain in the ass. Are you kidding me? Like, be present. Like, oh, hey, everything you have in I needed bitch. this, buddy. And they're like, oh, uh, shit. Great. I'm going to go get it. And you're like, okay, I don't know, man. I don't know. You're going to have to earn it back now, buddy. You're going to earn it back, you know? That's why some directors have no phones policies on their, on Dude, their it's, sets. It's yeah. important, man. It's important. If yeah. I have it, it's fucking off in my pocket. I don't touch it until we get a break or something that I'm like, okay, I got to catch up on 15 emails over lunch or whatever. But right. it's like, yeah, you got to. You gotta, you gotta be all in. I think that's the main thing, and it'll come. And if you work hard, if you're all in, it, it's gonna come, man. It will come in one form or another. You don't, you won't even know what that form is, but it'll come. That's huge. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for for giving me all this time and being so generous with you know, d- describing your backstory and everything. I mean, I've just lost count of the the lessons that are in here. I think the listeners are really, really going to dig this a lot. So, so thank you, guys. Last awesome. couple of questions: Were there any books or resources that were really helpful for you guys along the way, either creatively or in terms of I don't becoming better writers or better directors, or that helped you in terms of your career, in terms of like navigating Hollywood? Is there anything that was formidable book wise for you? creatively or professionally so for me like the one thing that uh before every time before you and i make a movie i read Sidney lamette's making movies beautiful and then i we go out and we we watch together um uh, the making hearts of darkness making of a nice now filmmakers Filmmakers yeah uh, those two these those two pieces of material really set us in the proper mind frame that's cool. Yeah, Another really under underrated documentary about making movies, the documentary behind Easy Riders. It's insane. So oh, wow. it's, I don't know if it's an official documentary. It's just it's on the special features, I think, of the Criterion version. And it's just, yeah, yeah. I've probably seen it then, honestly. I Hopper and Fonda were throwing TVs at each other. Every time somebody's getting high, like smoking a joint on set or on, on screen, they're actually smoking joints. I think they took real acid. Like it is crazy wow. pants yeah it's awesome I mean, though different era man yeah uh, you know it's it's a it was a beautiful wonderful time and uh, i'd say here's here's an interesting here's an interesting story to think about we would read everything we get our hands on the mm-hmm. gossip rags the fucking tabloid like they're not tabloid but you know what i mean yep. when i say something like easy rider raging bull it's full of anecdotes oh, yeah. of you could say tabloid you know type anecdotes about the movie industry and how people got started what their careers were like and what their hopes and dreams were and where they ended up. So those are fucking beautiful to read because like we've, we've got, we've gleaned a lot of insight at a lot of those. And one of them was, uh, 
what's the Waxman's one? Rebels on the Back Lot. Rebels on the Back Lot. Oh, it's so a great reading, one. We're reading Rebels on the Back Lot. And I remember reading this part in there about this woman who was Tarantino and Avery and Craig Hammonds, which was kind of the dynamic trio at the time. Uh, manager. Their manager, Catherine James. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading about her and she described her as like a brownie making mother who would like run in with Tarantino and Avery's and Craig scripts and like throw them down on the table of executives in the middle of meetings and be like, read the script. And then walk like, I'm in the middle of a meeting. And like, you know, like, what the fuck? You know, like she's like, I called you three times. You didn't answer. So I came over personally, you know, that kind of a woman. And, but she was also a brownie. Tenacious yet nurturing. But incredibly loving, mm. you know, daughter of a preacher, like a, a, a badass. Yeah. And so, I read about her and I was like, oh my God, Ash, this is the kind of manager we need, you know, and we've been in town six months. Understand us. So I look her up. I'm like, where's, where is Catherine James? You know, and she's got a management company in Burbank. And I'm like, Catherine James, find an email. Find an email. I start writing her and I'm like, Hey, uh, you know, just read this book. Like we're big fans of Tarantino and Avery and, Hammond and like blah 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 and and never writes me back for that so a week later I'm like all right Catherine hey we just got this movie Night of the Dog blah 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 got into this festival week later Catherine hey how are you just checking in uh tell you about Night of the Dog got another her, festival he wrote her every week for about six weeks six Whoa. weeks Every week for six weeks was very positive, upbeat, informational emails talking about either a script we were thinking about working on or a script we had worked on or a script we'd written Some or festival a, festival, success. a festival we'd won or, you know, something. Some review we'd gotten. Check out this review. It's so awesome or whatever. So after six weeks, she finally calls me back and she's like, this is Catherine James. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I, she calls us. We start talking to her. And she's like, let's sit down and talk. I talked to her for like an hour one night on the phone. She calls Didn't, didn't she want a script or was that? And she, well, yeah. So she goes, send me a script. Send me a script. Email to me. So I emailed her. Batman. Fat Man. And she reads it. And she goes, we're sitting down. We're, this is fucking awesome. We're sitting down. So wow. we go to a restaurant. We sit down. And she's literally like, fucking old school badass like long cigarette like like petite blonde woman you know the hot si- blonde the extension the extended amazing cigarette and like orders <laughs> blue eight or 60s now like boom tell me about yourself boys it's fucking amazing <laughs> so it's cool you ever want to have and so we talked to her she's amazing took us under her wing took us under her wing for about two or three years uh, and repped us and introduced us to Craig Hammond and Roger Avery um, and really gave us our first steps and really gave us our first steps into the business and taught us a ton and was a big fan of us and was just like, boys, this is what you fucking do. You got to fucking go and you got to grind and taught us that when we got rejected at certain times that it doesn't fucking matter. Like, yeah, that guy's going to be out of the office, out of that fucking position in six months anyway. We're going to go right back then. You know, like <laughs> she was that kind of person, she just believed in us and believed in the writing and believed in all of her clients like that. Um, and it was an amazing, she was amazing. Um, so she cool. ended up passing away of cancer after about four years of representation. But oh, man. when I was fighting her for those six weeks, that was the problem we were having is she was actually, uh, fighting cancer for the first time at that point in her career. Oh man. And so six weeks in, she had just gone into remission. Um, and I'm sure she'd been fighting it for months, if not a year at that point, but she had gone into remission and she wrote me back and said, Hey, I'm thinking about getting back into the business. Like, let's talk, you know, send me a script boys. Um, so cool. And yeah, so we got to hang out with her and know her and uh, love her for fucking four years, and it was incredible. 
Um, yeah, she was fantastic, man. And uh, I, I, I can't say enough about her as a human being, but she taught us a ton. And uh, that came from reading that book and writing a few fucking emails. Yeah. And staying on top of the emails, too. I mean, that's the sure. other thing. The consistency sure. element is huge. I think a lot of people. But it's a beautiful story. That's, she yeah. sounds really wonderful. You're making me want to reread Rebels on the Backlog Dude, now. You should. Find those yeah. Catherine James passages. They're worth rereading. They're I fantastic. will. I will. Well, guys, yeah, I mean, this was such a joy. Thank you so much. Dude, thank you, man. Real, real pleasure. All right. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and family on social media? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor. That's I am Nick Taylor. And on Twitter at the same handle. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show.